Welcome to episode 322 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was engineered on Tuesday, 21st of February, 2023. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles. The good people at Turn are committed to building bikes that are useful enough to ride every day and dependable enough to carry the people you love. In other words, they make the kind of bikes that they want to ride. Turn has e-bikes for every type of rider, whether you're commuting, taking your kids to school, or even carrying another adult. Visit www.turnbicycles.com, that's T-E-R-N, bicycles.com, to learn more. I'm Colton Reed, and welcome to the latest episode of the Spokesman Podcast, in which I chat smart cities and more with Philip and Irene McAleese, co-founders of The Light and now increasingly important sensor company, C-Sense. It's been a while since I've, I've caught up with you. Yeah. So you've said it a busy year. You've, you've had a busy decade almost haven't you well, <laughs> uh, you've got a very busy newsletter there with all the amazing things and awards you're winning and stuff so so I don't know if it's possible to even pre-see this but but try tell, tell us about that busy year you had so um I think that the thing that's really um taken off this year Carlton is that um we've um have this new product so obviously we've got the part of the business which has been the b2c side with with the bike lights um but then on the b2b side um yes during covid um we sort of put our head down and really um worked to develop this um product which could be used to um, integrate into bikes um, and e-scooters as well. So to, it basically to be able to capture all of the wonderful data that we do with C-Sense by the bike light, but um, to do it in a new way with a device that can work by attaching to the bike. Um, so it's it's quite a um, it's quite a step change because rather than just um, being able to um, I guess track a bike you know in terms of knowing the GPS location we um, were able to do that um, differently because a we're able to gather all of the C sense sensor data um, but also we can do it in a very low powered way. So the way that we send the data from the bike um, to the cloud is done over a low power wide area network, which means um, it's so low powered, it can um, actually work um, just from the dynamo of the bike. Um, so it, it goes, it can be powered, say, from the lighting circuit from the bike rather than having to go into the main part of the bike. Um, and this this differentiation has, has um, been kind of a bit of a niche for us because um, it's allowed us to work on some big projects, one of them in Essex actually, where they um, they um, got some funding to give out um, free bikes to um, thrived areas of the community in Essex. Um, and um, there's over a thousand bikes now and, and it's growing actually, but um, Jaywick is actually one of the, the poorest areas I think in if not Essex in the UK and um, where the idea of giving the bikes out to people there means that they you know have better access to you know employment and um, education and also um, you know improvements for health and this kind of thing 
but um, of course the the funders need the data to know um, you know were the bikes being used after they gave them out um, so our our technology is helping to provide that data and evidence to show yes the bikes were used and you know how often they were used and look at the sort of um, you know behavior change you know that might occur with the usage over time um, but also then um, gather this sensor data um, which can then be used by the council to start to look at um, how they can better design the cycle infrastructure um, to make it um, safer and more attractive for people um, in the area. Um, so are you a data company or a lights company? Are you both? Are you, <laughs> how, do you, how do you separate those two or join those two? Yeah, I mean, it is, it is, um, we, we started as a lights company, as you know. Um, we now do a lot of work on, on data. Um, and I mean, I think it's fair to say, I think I'm glad to say, Philip, well, the, yeah. the largest revenue part of our business now is actually on data. Wow, really? Uh, yeah. That's such a change. Yeah. I know. <laughs> it's been a, um, yeah, it, it's, I guess it's it's been the vision all along that we could use these data insights to help, you know, cities transform for more cycling. And that's really a bit of a hard road that we've been down because we've had to work so hard to try to build out the data use cases, you know, mm. with the cities and to validate, you know, yes, when we say we can collect road surface data, it really is quite accurate. And to get that validation on that or to to get the validation that the data is really useful for safety and and um, understanding risk and collisions, doing all these kind of, um, you know, getting the cities to um, accept that this this new novel sort of data source does have really powerful use cases has been quite a journey. But I do feel we're, we're now that we've got some of those good use cases under our belt, um, we... we um, we're in a good position now to kind of um, even scale more and do more on that front. So when you were launching that, did you actually launch it at Dublin Velo City? Because I remember the booth there where you were certainly discussing this. Was that was that when city planners from around the world, was that the first time they saw this in in, in practice? Yeah, well, that one actually, we, we did launch that there. Um, the idea of that, it's slightly evolved since then because that initial launch, we were going to use this technology called MBIOT, um, which is one of these low power networks in terms of how we could send the data. We ended up um, not using MBIOT because we found that the the coverage was a bit patchier than what we might have um, hoped it would have been. So we've moved to a different one called LTE Cat One. But so we had to re redesign some of the you know, back end tech to make it work with a new a new network. But essentially, yes, that. That concept that we launched there at Velo City is what we're doing now, and 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 yeah. you mentioned Essex. Uh, so so globally, tell us where else that cities are potentially transforming themselves with your tech. Yeah, yeah. Well, our biggest project is actually in um, in Melbourne and Geelong with Transport Accident Commission. Um, they have one thousand cyclists using C-Sense lights. And we're working with um, Deakin University there and iMove, which is the Commonwealth Government um, funder. Um, and that's quite a big project to really take 
um, all of the data insights and understand um, how they can be used um, to improve safety for cyclists primarily, but also um, just more general infrastructure design and and um, maintenance and and also they were quite interested to see how cyclists would engage with with data and there was a lot of uh, quite a lot of the project was around understanding cyclists um, comfort levels with sharing data and, and things like that as well so that's been a, a really useful project mm-hmm. the final results for that are going to be published in February um, so we're looking forward to that but all indications are that it's um, been really really well received um and so that that's a that's a big um project and then another one we have done is in denver um in the us um so they have 300 cyclists there um and um that project was really interesting um because it came about came about actually i think during the black lives matter um protests and things that were happening and one of the reasons that they reached out to us is because they realized they wanted to have some more data which was representative um you know of their their communities and and one of the challenges with some of the data you know sources that are around at the moment is that they you know can be you know got skewed mm. to particular groups you know um athletes or you know etc and so one of the advantages of this project is that they could, you know, choose who they gave the lights to um, and, you know, um, recruit people that they wanted to understand more about um, and make sure that they their voice was heard um, in in the, the planning decisions that, that are being made in the city. So that, that would be my exact next question would be, you know, how do you make sure it's not just, you know, a, a hardcore commuter, you know, who will go on mm. his or her you know, hardcore route, and that skews the results. Yeah. So, but if you if you give to just uh, people and say, you know, d- you can go wherever you want, and and, and maybe uh, pick people who br- are brand new to cycling, and you know that, so you're you're tagging that in results. Is that how how it works? Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So, um, depending on the aim of what the city is trying to do, that's one of the beauties of the the project is that they can choose who they distribute the lights to. They we usually. Um, Whenever we do one of the bike light projects, they're usually completely oversubscribed. So they'll put sort of a, um, you know, there'll be a website page. People can express interest in participating in the project. And when they express interest, they will um, answer a really short survey, which would be, and the questions will be designed by the city. But it's usually um, the criteria, you know, they would look at is, you know, what is your gender, age range, you know, how often do you cycle or where do you cycle, any of the questions that they want to use to help um, pick the people in the cohort. And then, um, yeah, so in the case of Denver, um, they they wanted to um, deploy them to make sure they had some representation from um, um, more ethnic areas of, of the city so that they included a question around that as well. Um, and then we can make sure that the data is, you know, I guess has the pool of data um, is mm. from that um, group that they're looking to understand more about. Mm. And, um, um, and of course, then we're only sharing the aggregated anonymized data insights back from, from that pool, not, not an individual's journey. So tell me, we, oh, sorry, Philip, you were going to say something. Yeah, yeah no, I was going to say, I think in Essex as well is really interesting because you've got, you know, Jaywick and Clacton, where we've got lots of bikes being given out. And obviously, they're not known as cycle commuter towns like mm. London and, and places like 
that. So, you know, really interesting to see, you know, some of the initial findings we found around what sort of journeys these people are taking by looking at, you know, their origin destination. Um, and we're seeing them t making utility cycling to the shops. Um, we're seeing them go to the pier for, you know, presumably social activity and meeting up with people. Um, it's really amazing to see. And it's definitely, mm. uh, you know, it's a, it's almost back to the, I guess, 1950s and 60s where we would have last seen, you know, large numbers of bikes used in those kinds of ways and that type of area. So I think it's really interesting for the planners to see, um, you know, what does that look like and how do we plan infrastructure mm. and, you know, how do we do it somewhere that isn't known mm. for cycling? That's good for those funders to see that, yeah, people are making journeys to the shops and things like that, which was, mm. I guess, some of the hope that people would be using mm. the bikes as a mode of mm. transport, really, and was the idea of giving them out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're doing a few projects, like, uh, with the bike lights, and then um, the um, the other thing that we have done with its more integration of this in, into the fleet. So there was the Essex one. Um, we're on the we're on the fleet in um, Exeter for their e-bike um, share scheme, and um, we're also we also did a POC with um, in London with Dot, which is the mm. um, which was putting our devices on the e-scooters. Um, one of the things that um, I think is interesting there is because we do have a lot of data from bikes across the city, um, and then we're able to see, you know, what are the um, what's the experience of a, a cyclist and the experience of an of an e-scooter rider on on the same street. You know, how does um, the road surface condition affect the, the different modes, um, for example. Um, so yeah, that, that's another area that we can do more of, and and we 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 um, you know a lot of these uh, like the company we worked with in um, London is Dot, and they um, also obviously have bikes. So we're looking at you know how we can integrate into their bike fleets um, going forward as well. Um, so there's good potential on that. So tell us what you're capturing exactly. So you're capturing where people are going. Mm -hmm. the gps mm -hmm. you're capturing uh road surface good bad or, or whatever tell us about that and then y y you're also capturing maybe desire lines where or, or maybe anti-desire lines in that you know why aren't people going down here you know and, and that must be somewhere people don't like so is, is that what you're capturing if i missed some stuff out there uh, yeah, we would also, um, very interesting, two other things that we captured, which are quite unique to C-Sense, um, is this swerving and braking mm. pattern. So because the data is so granular, we can actually see um, very sort of minute sort of reactions that people make on their bike um, when they do a swerve or when they do a brake. Yeah, so for example, you know, say you're travelling downhill and approaching an intersection, um, it wouldn't be unusual for you to have to brake relatively hard uh, in order to stop in time for that intersection. And that's not particularly interesting for us. Um, what we're actually looking at is how quickly you apply the brakes, because that gives us a really good indication of was this a planned maneuver or was it something that surprised or caught you out? Um, and so um, we do the same with braking and with swerving. So traveling around a roundabout, 
there's obviously quite a lot of acceleration forces if you're traveling quite quickly um but it's not necessarily all that interesting whereas if you think that you know if you see a pothole at the last moment or think perhaps somebody's going to step in front of your path you'll you'll react in a much different way uh, than you would to go around roundabout so this allows us to aggregate up over lots of uh, cyclists and lots of journeys and understand where the areas where cyclists are being you know caught out or having a less than optimal experience um, and so work that we've done previously with ROSPA, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Accidents, um, indicates that you're two and a half times more likely to break or swerve in this manner in proximity to a known STATS-19 location where a cycling injury um, has been recorded um, than you are when you're not one of those locations. Um, and we we actually repeated that, uh, <coughs> that study with um, uh, TFL um, this year. Um, and so we presented that at the... Um, the, the cycling uh, innovation conference a little a few weeks ago um and it was really interesting to see because you know it, it highlights it's almost an early warning system because with stats 19 they're thankfully very uh, infrequent um but obviously when they do happen it, it's very serious and uh you know it's something that you want to put remediation steps in place so by using um our data um, we're effectively further down the pyramid where you'll see a lot more breaking and swerving relative to the amount of you know collisions and injuries and so therefore you can look at where that's happening the most and use it as an early warning system to send out inspectors and, and consider you know is the design optimal or are there things that could be changed in the environment um, to improve things now i i can understand even though philip you're you're very tech i'm not tech but i can understand because I, I i've got the the technology you know on my wrist in my smartphone so i've got you know the, the proximity data from gps and there's accelerometers i understand all of that however what i don't understand and i'm sure you will not tell me how you do this because this is actually magic is how do you as a company <laughs> know to flash your lights more when there's a car behind or at a roundabout how you know so <laughs> In, in, in some form of like non-magic language that isn't going to be revealing any secrets, maybe, that other people are going to How are you doing that, Philip? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, you're quite correct. There's lots of sensors on the device, and it, it's all about how you use the data. But um, the reality of it is that we're actually relying on the cyclist. So we're monitoring you with such granularity that we understand when you've reacted or uh, or done something. So um, the obvious one is, you know, the simple one that we talk about all the time is approaching a junction or roundabout mm -hmm. where, you know, you, you'll give clues to the light by, you know, perhaps stopping your cadence as you stop pedaling and look at the, the junction and see, you know, are there cars there? Am I going to travel straight through it? Am I going to stop? So that's the first indication it'll get. If you take a primary position, it'll detect that, and that's another good indication for it. Um, and as you start to slow and um, uh, and so on, it's just more and more clues. So the more clues it gets, the brighter and faster it flashes in a nutshell. Mm. Um, we do have a patent around that technology that's been granted mm. in, in quite a few countries, um, and we're very proud of it. Um, in terms of oh, Philip, it's not magic. You've given all the game away. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just clever. It's clever. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Some people think that you know it does the light. You know because you have to pair because you pair the light to the phone. Mm. It's it's using GPS to try to know your location and detect you're at a roundabout. Mm. But no, mm. it, it will work without actually being connected. This um, reactive element of the light mm. and um, it, it, but it is basically it's about the. the um, the clever risk profile and the fact that 
it is able to monitor you on the bike 800 times per second. So it's very, very granular. Um, and that's what Philip is saying, that he, then it's feeding that feeding that data through a risk profile. And the clever part is how we've put together the risk profile um, to, and that's, I guess, the secret source part. But, um, yeah, it's proved to be very accurate. And is anybody else doing this? I, I, I don't necessarily want you to, like, you know, give away trade secrets, but why wouldn't a famous light company also incorporate that kind of tech in their lights or, or, or are they and i just don't know about it yeah it, there's a really interesting part of the story which, which is this which is um when we develop the technology i don't have a I, i've got a you know technical background but i don't have a mathematical scientific background per se and so when i developed the algorithm and the way that it works i did it in a very unorthodox way and so we were able to show that it works, but it actually took me about two years to figure out why it works. Because if you look at the the, the standard ways of, of doing this kind of processing, we didn't use any of them. Um, and so I think it's because we've taken an orthodox approach. We've maybe um, discovered something that is, you know, not widely known. Um, I think it is the, the classic example of, you know, like Rolls Royce with its, you know, engine blades. It's a trade secret and people just haven't worked out how to do it. And so it's given them competitive advantage that's kept them ahead for a very long time. Mm. You, 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 but I mean, you've been going for how, when were you founded? 2013. Yeah, a long time ago. That's a hell of a long time for nobody to come up with the same tech. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think to to an extent as well. Um, there are techno players within the cycling industry, um, but as you know, it's it's largely a fashion industry as well. So it's a lot about um, uh, you know the brand and, and the background and, and the racing heritage and, and those sorts of things that uh, as to why people buy bikes as much as the technology. Because there was a company uh, was Idation, Idation, Elizabeth Wu anyway. Uh, and her partner, they they did a very very small you know micro brand. They were doing similar stuff, you know, incorporating clever mm -hmm. tech in lights and then getting courier companies to use it. But no, none of the big ones mm -hmm. I know of have have done this. Am I right in thinking that that you're yeah. you're pretty much the only one doing this? Yeah, I mean, we do see we we've seen sensors creep into lights, and so we see some brands using them for. Um, you know, indication of braking and that sort of stuff. So the the Garmin kind of products and the, yeah. the radar kind of yeah. approach. Yeah, so the, the Garmin Varia is, um, we actually know the founders of Ibuku, which were the company that, um, that created that. Um, and, um, you know, really nice technology, um, but a little bit different from what we mm. do. Uh, it's using actual mm. radar. It's got a relatively high price point. Mm. Um, so slightly different. But. There are some lights out there now that have um, accelerometer in it, but it's mm. quite a basic sort of brake. You know, it's detected a brake um, and it's, it has a react, you know, like a brake light. I've mm. seen those. Yeah. But that's quite different to what we're doing um, because it just wouldn't, there's a lot more subtlety in the brake, you know, detection mm. of the brake, as Philip explained. Um, and then we're doing the swerving and the road surface and all the other things as well. Mm. Um, so, in fact, you may not even have to brake. You know, you could be going through a roundabout still at high speed and our light would detect mm. that change. So it is quite different um, to how they, the others, more basic ones would work. Um, but, yeah, I think, Carlton, you're right. Um, I, you know, we have been around 10 years. I think it's interesting now that the data side is growing, but we're very thankful for the lights business because, mm. you know, 
it's helped us get to where we are. It's helped us give us some breathing space to experiment and look and play with the data while being able to have this sort of the live product because, you know, <clears throat> it's a tough world out there being a startup and, you know, especially when we, you think we've probably chosen the hardest thing to do. Everyone said, A, don't mm -hmm. do hardware. B, don't try and sell data to cities. <laughs> Because they have, don't try and sell anything to cities basically because they have a very long sales cycle and they're, you know, um, you know, it, it's a, a complex kind of model. So the fact that we had um, the bike lights over the last few years has, has given us revenue as a company that has allowed us to um, invest in, in the data side um, over time and now build out those proof, uh, those use cases. Um, you know, now we can name clients, you know, like like TFL and like others that we've built these things up with, which um, is, is incredibly hard to do as a startup. Um, so I think we've been very lucky that we've, while it's been challenging having the, the B2C and the B2B side, we're incredibly grateful for the B2C side because it's enabled us to, to do what we're doing now on data. So cities are going to use a whole form of, of, of different platforms. So some of them are going to use Strava, the Metro, um, you know, overlay. And, and, and But that's going to be a different user profile, presumably, to because to, that's not really, you're not choosing, you know, which riders to, to go out, out there and, 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 and be tracked on city streets. That's just you know, totally um, separate user set. And perhaps even, even though they say this is not the case, perhaps hardcore commuters uh, and roadies are, are probably going to be more. They, they, they do say not, but they're, they're, they're very probably going to be a bit more hardcore and you're not. So cities have got all these tools to use and are they using them, you know, do they have like, you know, have you seen the back ends where they, they use, you know, layers? So they'll put your layer on, they'll have a Strava layer on. Uh, layer on. Is that how they're using this data? Yeah, I mean, that that's a great question because I think, that's one of been was been one of our learnings over the first few years. I think our first data project we did was back in twenty seventeen, um, pre GDPR. But I remember we 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 um, <coughs> we wanted to test out, you know, um, you know, how would cyclists feel about sharing data? How will we handle the tech back end? And how will we start exploring the use cases with cities? Um, and we were very focused on all of that. And when we completed the project at the end, we we're very proudly handed over this data file to the city. And, you know, it's going, here you go, here's all the data, go away and transform your city. And then we realised, um, actually, you know, it doesn't really work like that. Um, the people within the councils, um, they may not have either the, the, uh, the capability to work with data that way. They may not... Um, be confident in doing it and so it's been a journey um, for us in in terms of understanding how we can um, support cities to use the data to go from being data um, uh, data to um, I guess an actionable insight from that um, and part of the power as you said Carlton is about combining the different data sets as well so our, our data has usefulness on its own but it is really great to be able to combine data sets and even in the case of of Strava there's you know there's um, it's a vol it's a volume play we're not really a volume play we're more of a deeper understanding of some specific um, you know um, roads or, or experiences of, of groups of people but still it's um, 
you know, there's no one data source, I guess, that's a silver bullet for everything. So it's really about being um, um, cities being more sophisticated and understanding the different data sources that are out there, understanding their strengths and weaknesses, and then um, being able to be more sophisticated in how they can combine that. Um, for our, we have a we have a dashboard um, that allows the cities to see our data, and we can also um, provide a data file where they can bring that into their own tools. Um, and increasingly, we're partnering with some. There are other startups now that basically specialize in taking data sources from lots of different locations and presenting it back to cities. So we don't see ourselves as taking that role. We're really more one of the data feeds that would go into that group, but. Um, you know that that was actually something that TFL looked at in in the the work that they did with us recently, um, which is fascinating. They they went okay, um, let's we've signed up to Vision Zero. Um, Vision Zero, we want to re reduce the number of um, deaths and um, for for um, vulnerable road users, cyclists and pedestrians. So they look at all the different open data sources that they can have. They look at um, um, things as well that are maybe not open but they can get hold of, such as um, the speed of cars that travel down the road, the width of the road. Um, and interestingly, they, they said, you know, we've actually got access to data from cars who use vehicles as a sensor. So looking at what is the swerving and braking pattern of cars as they travel down the road? And then they went, you know what, we don't have this data from from cycling. So this is data we, they were using to inform decision-making about Vision Zero and cars were able to provide this data on swerving and braking and they saw this gap that they don't have the data um, from from bikes um, or um scooters so this is where we 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 stepped in to work with them to show how we can fill that gap but really what they're doing is taking our our data and pushing it into a model where they can then better understand risk with lots of other data sources that they have so first of all i, I want to ask a question about beacons which you, you'll know I'm, I'm, I'm quite big on uh but yeah but first of all uh is tomato tomato uh, uh data and data. Now, in a sentence a few minutes ago, you used both. So I've been using data, and that probably tripped you into using data, even though you want to say data. So, so, so Philip, what, what do you say? Uh, are you data or data? How do you? No, no Australian. It's Australian. Will say data. No. You say data. Data. <laughs> yeah, it's an Australianism to say. Yeah. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's my Australian accent popping in. <laughs> yeah. No, it's funny how you used it. Exact, two different ways in this exact same sentence. That's funny. Right. So, 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 okay. So we've got rid of that. Um, um, I, I would, I'll try not to trip you up by saying data. Um, so beacons. So the, the technology you were talking about there, yeah, that, that could be used for nefarious means potentially in that, you know, so you could be asked um, by car companies, for instance, to communicate with their IoT uh, devices and street furniture, of course. So, so what's your position on on bike beacons? So, I mean, anything that helps reduce cyclists' uh, injuries and, and deaths is a good thing. Um, I think that there is. Uh, I mean, we have been involved historically and, and still are to an extent mm. um, in some working groups to explore it. Um, I think the challenge is that. Um, you know, it takes a lot of time for 
this technology to mature for it to appear in a sufficient number of cars to make a credible difference. Um, and I think, you know, things like Euro NCAP with the cyclist detection um, being now part of crash testing, which, you know, is really driving manufacturers to look at quick and, and effective systems of doing that. And we're seeing them use, you know, cameras and radar and combinations of, the, of both to do it effectively um, today. And a lot of cars can detect autonomously, uh, can detect cyclists and, and react to them. So I think, um, you know, while beacons are an interesting technology and there may be a place for them, um, I think they'll largely become, you know, obsolete. Um, they, they may have been a stepping stone, but we were too slow to get there. Um, the other thing is that, you know, nobody's really worked out a way of doing them sufficiently and expensively to make them mass market, um, to get good quality, uh, a really high precision GPS location, which is required for this type of vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication, um, you know, plus transmit that over, you know, a cellular frequency. Um, that a car can already has in it to be able to, to get it, although some are, are using Bluetooth, um, is, you know, it's expensive technology and it's power-hungry technology, so it requires something that, you know, requires lots of charging. So there are there are a number of reasons why it's been a difficult one, really, to, to get right and to accelerate. So um, while I think there is maybe a use for it, I think it's easily technology that may be surpassed by in-car systems that, that render it redundant. So detection, not connection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, tell me about your lights, because you had a... You're basically your Kickstarter kings and queens. Uh, you really like um, um, going out to your probably existing customers and, and, and getting them onto their, the next generation of product, but also bringing new people in. So A, why do you use... Is that the reason you use... Um, uh, crowdfunding number one and and to just tell us about your latest product that you use you know kickstarter for can i just say, can i just say something quickly oh, okay. on beacons mm -hmm. we go on to <clears throat> just mm -hmm. to put my two cents worth in i see there's so much that, that carlton we obviously have looked into it but we've not progressed it and all the reasons that Phil talked about, we obviously there's equity issues underlying that, but it's we just don't see that it's 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 something that we've actively pursued. And um, you know, I, I this is in spite of us ex being encouraged by um, you know there's when you look at all the funding pots that are out there um, for connected cars. And, and vulnerable, you know, inverted vulnerable mm. road users, which I don't like that term anyway. But um, there is, you know, if we had seriously wanted to go down that path, there's a, there is a lot of funding opportunities down there. In fact, um, we were finalists, I think it was mm. last year, for in the Reese the Reese Jeffries Road Fund. Now we um, we're the only project in there that had a, a, a cycling you know, mm. focus. Um, the rest were pretty much all about cars and connected cars. And the one that won um, actually had some kind of beacon, you know, bike-to-vehicle um, detection system on it. And that, I think, even I know when I was chatting with, you know, um, you know, mentors and judges mm. as part of the program that we were probed pretty heavily whether we would go down that path and it was not something that we expressed any appetite for. Um and the ones that do express appetite seem to be more, you know, in, in some ways, the mm. the 
the funding pots and the industry seem to reward people who who go down that path, um, but we we haven't, and um, it's not it's not on our um, immediate roadmap. Beacons, yeah, yeah. We just want to. I just want to throw that in because I I, I know <clears throat> it's sort of a little bit frustrating to me because I we we kind of feel that you know it, by the, the the data that we collect on understanding. Um, you know, this, uh, the swerving and braking patterns we know um, can inform safety um, and ultimately make the infrastructure better. And, you know, if we know the road surface, you make the infrastructure better and we prefer to see um, improvements done at that level rather than rather than um, expecting the um, re- relying on the car to, to detect the cyclist or vice versa. So we that that's where our... Um, instincts lie in terms of a um a, a way forward you you, you that, that's absolutely fine for you to, to say that and thank you for, for 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 pitching in there and rather than go into the lights question you, you've now suggested a supplementary question um on <laughs> that. and that is um so when when you've say um encouraged or certainly informed a local authority that this particular road perhaps is incredibly potholed and very rough because your your lights have discovered this have you had examples where the local authority has then gone and resurfaced the road and then your your cohort of of bike riders then goes over that road and you get completely different results all of a sudden they're smooth have you had that kind of thing happen yeah i mean not quite exactly that but one of the really interesting examples we researched was um park lane and so park lane uh, obviously very complex yes in, in london um, very complex road, as you probably know, with the park on one side, lots of hotels mm-hmm. on the other, um, and you know, buses, taxi ranks, cars coming and going. Really, really busy. Very wide road, very busy, um, and quite difficult to to navigate. Um, that had a um, COVID bike lane mm-hmm. uh, installed uh, a couple of years ago, and so we looked at uh, what was the cycling picture in terms of abnormal braking and swerving, like before the bike lane went mm. in, um, and then as soon as it went in, I'm pleased to say I understand that the bike lane is now permanent. Um, but what we found was that we were seeing pretty extreme braking and swerving events um, mm. pre that infrastructure. Um, and as soon as it went in, all of those indications disappeared above a particular threshold. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. all of the worst stuff just went away overnight. And because it's now permanent, it stayed away. And we've mm. not had a single instance in two years Whereas prior to that, we were experiencing probably something like one journey in 60, something mm. like that, uh, really would experience powerful. an abnormal break or swerve event. Mm. So the idea, yeah, mm. so the idea is you can show um, there's evidence to show the performance of the infrastructure. Mm. If a city has made that investment, they've got a baseline to compare before and after. And then they can show not just a count of cyclists, um, but also have they Im- improved the experience of the cyclists, um, made it, um, you know, um, mm-hmm. safer to travel on, which therefore makes the, the route more inclusive, you know, to a wider range of cyclists um, mm-hmm. and, and attract, you know, more women, more um different age groups and things like that onto, onto the route. So there's that. But but also the road surface data um, has been used by um, one of the councils we're working with, Northeast Lincolnshire Council. They used it to inform their uh, LC WIP, their lo- local cycling walking infrastructure plan. So when they put forward um, funding, um, 
requests through that plan. It, it helped to, you know, justify why they needed it and what they wanted to do for their investment. Um, so I think that this, the, the road surface one is, um, the use case for that is growing and growing. Um, and we've, you know, we've recently um, got more validation from from um, University of Hasselt in in, um, in Belgium, actually, who, who did some research um, to sort of validate the the um, the usefulness of, of that data as well. And then we've done the previous um, research with with ACOM as well mm. to, to confirm that yes, it, when we when we gather the road surface, it does it does um, align with what. You, a visual inspection would provide if they were to send a, an engineer out into the field. So it really helps. So I think that that use case is definitely growing. So Fetus Bond in, in Belgium, they had a, a, a data collecting, a data collecting bike um, in which that they yep. did this. They, they measured the road surface. And, and I, I talked to the, 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 the people who did this. It's a very clever bike. And it, it, it's, you know, using cameras and all sorts. It, 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 it's excellent. And uh, that was it. Uh, uh, that was in one of the Dutch um, uh, cities where, where mm -hmm. I, I, I saw that. Um, but of course, what yes. you've got is very not similar tech, but it does the same stuff. But it's not just one bike; it's 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 loads of bikes, and it's people, yeah. different kind of people. Yeah. So that that's much more powerful than even though it's very clever to have this this Fiesta Bond uh, bike. It's 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 even more powerful to have tons of data. Yeah, I mean the. Um you know, the Fetus Bond bike is one bike that, that goes around. And whereas we have, I guess the, the, the difference is that as well, it's, um, you know, I, I, the device is, is all contained in a small bike light, you know, so it, does, it visually is a lot smaller and as we see commercially scalable because you can get hundreds of these, these things out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's great that, you know, they, they, um, value road surface data and they see road surface data as being a valuable source of data but um, type of data but um, yeah we're excited that we can scale that out and collect much more of it let me just interrupt Irene there and take you across to my colleague David hello everyone this is David from the Fredcast and of course the spokesman and I'm here once again to tell you that this podcast is brought to you by Turn Bicycles the good people at Turn build bikes that make it easier for you to replace car trips with bike trips. Part of that is being committed to designing useful bikes that are also fun to ride. But an even greater priority for Turn is to make sure that your ride is safe and worry-free. And that's why Turn works with industry-leading third-party testing labs like EFBE and builds its bikes around Bosch e-bike systems, which are UL certified for both electric and fire safety. So before you even zip off on your turn, fully loaded and perhaps with a loved one behind, you can be sure that the bike has been tested to handle the extra stresses on the frame and the rigors of the road. For more information, visit www.turnbicycles.com to learn more. And now back to the spokesman. And thanks, David. And we are back uh, with uh, Irene McAleese and with Philip McAleese talking about C-Sense lights. Mm -hmm. 
Right, go back to light. So we, we've skipped forward 10 yes. minutes. <laughs> go go okay. back to the, the, the latest iteration of the icon. Yes. <laughs> so Icon 3. So, uh, yeah, starting off with Kickstarter and more recently Indiegogo, um, why do we choose crowdfunding platforms? Um, it's not always actually for the new audience. We're actually really delighted by the number of people who have backed us multiple times. Um, and so, you know, we... we it's really delightful. We actually recognize quite a few of the names from our very first campaign, our second campaign, our third campaign that have just backed us, you know, time after time. And it's uh, wonderful to be able to have that community. Um, the example I love to give is that typically our videos are about three minutes long and we'll announce when we're going to launch a new product. And, you know, within one minute of launch, we'll have, you know, a couple of dozen backers. Um, and so we're thinking they haven't even had time to watch the video. They don't even, they don't even really know what the is said it's the sense we want one and that's something we, that's something we didn't expect in the early days and we're absolutely delighted um so there's, there's a couple of reasons for for doing it um we like that it's public and that anyone can comment and that those comments can be read by the public it provides a lot of transparency and honesty we feel to the company um that shows how we operate and, and gives a a teaser almost to our you know ethics and morals and and you know how we how we roll um, so I think that's important to show as a company and, and very difficult to achieve just using a website or, or reviews and so on. Um, the other thing is it, it does work. I mean, it, it does provide a sense of, uh, I guess, excitement and, you know, builds a bigger crowd and community than perhaps launched it on our own website. So it is it is effective, effective as a marketing tool and getting the message out there as well. Um, in terms of Icon, uh, icon 2, uh, sorry, Icon 3, um, following on from Icon 2, uh, and what's different and new about it. So we've worked quite heavily on the optics again. So really looking at um, this time we've added a little bit more of a focused beam so that it's really effective on um, roads where you've got a high difference between the cyclist speed and the car speed. So if you're out on a national speed limit road, um, it's very good for that. Um, but we've also focused a lot more on some of the side visibility um, and so, you know, tailoring for all of the situations where we know cyclists are sometimes missed by other road users at roundabouts and road junctions and filtering and traffic and so on. So again, optimizing the where the light goes um, and therefore how effective it is at helping you uh, be seen. Uh, and it's USB-C now as well, isn't it? So that, that, that's, yes. that's actually quite a major upgrade. Yeah, it is quite a different charging standard. So um, we find that just given... Um, the market and the number of phones. We, we'd resisted USB-C for quite a long time. We felt that, you know, the cables commanded quite a premium. But we put it out and... to vote on for our customers. Yeah, we did. Yeah. They asked for it. So we oh, had a... We had... Elon Musk style. And... Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> we put it out there. So what do, what do you want? They wanted that. Yeah. And uh, they wanted a different mount as well. They wanted this sort of um, Garmin style mount. Yeah. So yeah. this is... This crowdsourcing the the design, some of the design mm -hmm. aspects, yeah. So I think I must, um, I must have icon two. two. I think, I think it's icon two. Mm -hmm. And so that that is the the yeah. connecting, you know, with the the old style is 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 fiddly. Uh, well, USB C is there's no because you you got like you got like line it up. You know, I I liken it to like a is it a smiley face? Is it smiling? That's how I learn. No, and and it yeah, they're actually quite bent now. Because if you've missed, you've kind of wrecked the connect. Whereas USB-C, you're not yeah. going to have that problem ever. Yeah, yes. it's a lovely, lovely light, Carlton. We're really proud of it. Yeah. I think it's definitely, we've learned, you know, a lot 
from hmm. every iteration. And I guess the good thing about Kickstarter is we stay close to our customers. We get a lot of feedback from them. And, you know, even when we, you know, we, we take on feedback, even from whenever the Kickstarter launches, I think that was a, you know, that was a question to the backers um, of the product and we were able to um, change, you know, I think the original one we were going to use, the existing hmm. one that we'd done on the last product, and yep. then they said, no, we, they wanted USB-C. So, yeah, we did it. Tell, tell me the price of this product. So it has increased in price. Um, so it is £99 mm. for a rear light and £179 for a set. Um, it's partly due to um, we've we've put some upgraded electronics in there with uh, even better sensors for better data in the future. Um, and also we still do manufacture here in the United Kingdom. And just given the, um, you know, electronics are generally priced in US dollars. And obviously as the pound is weakened against the US dollar, it's had an impact to our knock-on um, costs of components. So unfortunately we've had to pass on some of that um, to the consumer. So it's about, about a 20% increase mm. on Icon 2. Can I ask a very cheeky question? All, all my questions are cheeky, but anyway. Um, <laughs> you said United Kingdom there. I, I, I don't know if that was yeah. deliberate to say United Kingdom, other than the Northern Ireland. So the cheeky question is, uh, Brexit good or bad yeah. for you? Uh, Brexit's mm. been good for us. Yeah, because it allows us to, we mm. manufacture here, so, uh, and it allows us to export into um, Europe and the UK. In no, no, that hasn't been good. I mean, when we could we could export before Brexit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so you, sorry, the, yes, you're the, right. The, Brexit, <laughs> no, we don't like Brexit. We no. do like the MI protocol. <laughs> we, we could always we could always export before that. No, it's I I would say on on the whole, mm. I think Brexit is a bad thing for for yes. Ireland. Definitely, um, we are impacted in the fact that um, well, just looking at the wider picture, you know, there is um, you know research and research and development is very important to see. Since we're a very innovative company, and it's it's making it harder to access. Um, you know, the Horizon Europe, um, you know, funding pots and international work. You know, we've been members of Cycling Industry Europe for, for many years yeah. and involved in the advocacy work for that. But most of the lobbying they're doing is is for the um, the green um, the green funds and stuff like that, which obviously don't filter down our way now. Um, and so we're reliant on, you know, the funding grants more that are coming out of um, Innovate UK. Um, and it's so I think on on that sense, it's it is limiting to us. And um, while there's still some opportunity to to work with Horizon Europe, um, um, I, I don't feel the UK is on the same footing as we were before. Mm -hmm. I've been mm -hmm. part of some consortiums and they're worried about having too many UK members on them, for example. Um there's things like that. Um, obviously, talent and recruiting people um, is, you know, we, 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 we employ data um, analysts and software engineers and, and hardware engineers, and these are skills that are, um, you know, difficult to recruit for in Northern Ireland. In some ways, Northern Ireland has become a bit of a back office for some very large um, American companies who would be based out of Belfast, some that you might not have even heard their names of, sort of insurance companies and places like that. And they're very good at sort of sucking up the graduates that come out mm. um, from the university. And then you, as a as an Indigenous startup, we're trying to sort of compete to attract that talent when we can't pay quite as much as some of those. So, you know, it, we would have recruited 
um, you know, from from across Europe for people to work at CSense and even mm-hmm. even took mm-hmm. part in some of the like Eras, what was it called? The um, oh, Erasmus, was the, that Erasmus funded student funded yep. student programs and things like that, um, and all of that has stopped. So that is an impact for us because we we restricted our talent pool some somewhat, um, and then. Um, um, while we can, um, uh, while we can still under the NI protocol export into mm. Europe, and Northern Ireland is in a bit of a unique position, obviously compared to um, other areas in the UK in that regard. But um, we still have been impacted because it's actually quite um, the, it, so. Into from from NI into Europe is fine, but actually there are some. Some difficulties sometimes going from um, UK into Northern Ireland, mm, yeah, and so um, so um, for instance, we've had some some tricky um, problems with Amazon, you know, doing returns and and things like that mm. into Northern Ireland, and that's actually um, been um, yeah. a problem for us, and we can't really sell on. Mm. We, we've really pretty much closed down what we do on Amazon now mm. um, as a result of that. So we have we have been. Impacted. I guess Phil's trying to take the positive line of, well, the, the protocol has, has helped Northern Ireland trade into Europe, unlike yeah. um, other areas who were impacted by Brexit. But, yeah, overall, I mean, I'm on record on a number of interviews, Carlton, <laughs> in, the, in the lead up to the vote. Not, not least <laughs> with BBC Breakfast as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and, and also, you know, um, you know, look, look at, the, the political state of Northern Ireland at the moment, you know, we, we actually don't have a government <laughs> sitting, which is, you know, a direct impact of, of what's been happening around, you know, the the um, the NI protocol. We, 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 we don't have a government here sharing power at the moment and I think that's, um, you know, th- there's a knock-on effect um, for Northern Ireland in terms of our, you know, our stability and, and other things. So, um, yeah. Did we wish it never happened? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we'll, but business, but being a business, we 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 get on with things. You know, we have to, and you've got to be pragmatic, and you've got to um, be positive and work away yep. through it. And that's that's what we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we were talking before. I mean, this can be our final question because we have been talking for an awfully long time. Um, the, we're, uh, thank you very much for for for, for, for talking to us today. Um, the, 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 you're talking about the cities before, and, and people might get this impression that you know the dashboards that cities are now using that somehow cities are, are, you know are, are, are coming into the computer age just now with using this kind of technology. But then you look at films like uh, The Italian Job which was 1969. And, uh, you know, a famous part of that is a computer analyst, which was Benny Hill um, in this film, a computer programmer, uh, went to Turin and knocked out the city's um, computer-controlled um, traffic lights system and, and, and the whole city comes out. And that's why all the minis, you know, go, run through the, the, the streets of Turin. So cities have actually been incredibly advanced using computers and, you know, using you know, data analysis for an awfully long time. You know, the best part of, you know, probably 50, 60 years. Um, so this is nothing new 
to use the kind of you're you're bringing you know much more granular technology in but cities have been really advanced at doing this for an awfully long time haven't they yeah i think though um most cities would say that they while they've had data from a lot of the other modes um particularly cars there has been a lot of gaps in the data for for cycling um so i guess um Using, using data for, for planning certainly has happened for a number of years, but the, the voice of the cyclist has not always been amongst it. Thanks to Philip and Irene McAleese there, and thanks to you for listening to episode 322 of the Spokesman podcast, brought to you, as always, in association with Turn Bicycles. Show notes and more can be found at the-spokesman.com. The next episode will be out in March. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.